Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Welcome to our podcast series, The Transformational Impact of Data on Businesses. And today with our episode, The Modern Data Management by Data Virtualization. I think we have the honor to have three guests. We have Paul Moxon, your Senior Vice President, Data Architecture and Chief Evangelist at Denodo Technology. We have Sylvain Dutil, and you're the Principal BI Administrator at Lance Bunkin. And we have Charles Southwood, the Regional VP, Northern Europe and Middle East and Africa for Denodo Technologies as well. Maybe you can introduce you shortly as well, Paul. Maybe you can kick off. Thanks for having us here, Roland. It's great to be here. Sylvain, maybe you can give a short introduction. Hello, I've been working with data virtualization for close to three years now, and uh, especially with uh, Dinodo, and I work for uh, Landsbank in, in Reykjavik, Iceland. Charles, maybe short introduction from your side as well. Yes, hello there. I'm Charles Southwood. Thank you, Roden. I'm with Dinodo. I've been with the organization for about four years now. Uh, very passionate about this subject, so looking forward to discussing the content as we go through. We're looking forward to it as well, Charles. So I'm Ronald Van Loon. I'm the host today, and I'm the CEO and founder of Intelligent World, which is a data analytics consultancy and research network firm. I'm also a course advisor for a leading professional certification company called Simply Learn, and I'm the author for multiple coaching series for business leaders and C-level executives in how to succeed in the intelligent economy. And today we're going to talk about data management and data management from a virtualization perspective. Data management is the foundation for every organization. So we're going to talk about modern data management by data virtualization. And you have research firms like Gartner, like Forrester, they refer often to this data fabric concept as a combination of data integration, data cataloging, and AI and machine learning. And Paul, you referenced in a slightly different way. You call it logical data fabric. So what is this concept and how is this different from this data fabric that Gartner and Forrester are talking about? And also how can organizations benefit from applying it? As you mentioned in the past year or so, people like Gartner and Forrester, they've been talking about data fabric and it's got a lot of attention now. Garner described data fabric as enabling frictionless access to sharing of data in a distributed data environment. That's a very high level definition of what the term is. And our contention is that many organizations themselves are distributed. Well, if they're not distributed, their data is distributed. It's across multiple locations. It may expand across multiple privacy jurisdictions, multiple cloud providers, and so on. And therefore, if you're going to build a data fabric to give this access and manageability of the data, this data fabric must also support the distributed nature of these organizations or of their data. It's got to spread across these different locations, the different clouds, the different cloud regions. It's got to effectively work in this hybrid multi-cloud architecture. So the data fabric, even though it's distributed, still has to look and act like a single unified architecture, albeit a sort of a virtual or a logical architecture. Hence, we use the term a logical data fabric. Because what you don't want is local data fabrics. And we've seen this before in many other 
technologies. You know, you don't want a data fabric in London and a different one in New York and a different one in Tokyo and Hong Kong. And that's the danger that we might get in when everybody jumps onto this data fabric bandwagon and we end up with effectively data fabric silos. If you think about data lakes, data lakes were supposed to be the solution to data integration and data management. Now people have got 10, 15, 20 data lakes. They've just become silos. So when we talk about a logical data fabric, we're talking about a data fabric that spans the whole of the organization whether it is a global organization, whether it is a mid-sized firm that's moved data up to the cloud, up to Amazon or Microsoft, uh, the data fabric spans and weaves together all of that data into this unified architecture for manageability, for accessibility. And should the logical always be virtual or there's multiple options? The problem with physical, when you're talking about this distributed nature, is you start moving data around. And then it becomes very, very difficult to manage it, very difficult to control it. People don't like losing control of their data. And I did mention before privacy jurisdictions. If I have to have a data fabric that spans Europe and, say, the United States, the last thing I want to be doing is copying lots of data out of Europe into the United States. You know, I'm moving between privacy jurisdictions and that becomes a big problem for organizations. So in many ways, virtual is a solution to that. You leave the data where it's been stored in Europe and you access it virtually through this data fabric instead of physically copying it and storing it in the United States. So virtual solves a lot of the problems that we currently have with physically moving data around into different repositories, different regions, different departments, et cetera. So logical virtual is a better way to go. You were talking about this data integration, data management with many different sources at enterprise level is, is very complex, sometimes even hard to, to solve. And then is the role of data virtualization in data management environments. So what is typically their role? So Sylvain, does it help to speed up your digital transformation, this data virtualization? And can you explain more about the role within Landsbankin? We've been using a data virtualization solution, Dinodo, in, in that case, in order to create a logical data warehouse, which would be also a single point of truth inside the entire corporation. We wanted to have an environment where all the business logic is located. So users could come and query that single point of truth without wondering where the data is physically stored. We have two data warehouses right now, and we needed to find a way to query them at the same time without having to replicate the data all over again. So this was the go-to solution for us. Instead of having to create thousands of data flows between the warehouse of changing the old ones to the new ones, etc. Charles, maybe you can give your perspective? Yes, indeed. So I think it's fair to say when customers approach us with their own data integration challenges, they typically have a variety of different data sources and applications. They might have applications like ERP, CRM, HR or HCM, and maybe depending on the different industries, perhaps supply chain, product categories and a host of different data stores, different formats, different protocols, and it makes it extremely hard for the business to be agile and to provide the sort of data transformation that they aspire to and to gain the competitive edge that they want. And obviously, the faster the market's moving, the more they need to be agile. 
I think one of the challenges is that they have multiple technologies. You see them working with EPL and data warehousing traditionally, and they may have a, a vast number of data marks, some official, some unofficial, which brings its own challenges to do with security and uh, GDPR and other regulatory requirements. And as Paul was saying earlier, data lakes, service bus technologies, API tools. And so the combination of these disparate data sources can be very challenging. And so the role that we see data virtualization playing in data management is to bridge the gap between IT, who are generally focused on the security and efficiency of the data storage, and on the other side, you have the business wanting insights from the data. They want to do data visualization, analytics, and to gain agile access to the data. So the role of data virtualization can be to sit between these two platforms and be the delivery mechanism where you can combine and transform the data on the fly in real time. And this allows a transformation to the business. So essentially, in summary, Data virtualization allows organizations to be able to unify the data in real time, making that data available to everybody, ubiquitous, and also secure, which is very important, so that any of the business users or other applications can gain the access and insights they need. And addressing a little bit more this point of making it accessible, so many organizations have the vision of data democratization, and they ultimately, these organizations want all the business people making data-driven decisions. As you mentioned already, this is easier said than done, I would say. Paul, how is data virtualization contributing to a data-driven culture across the whole enterprise? This is some of the questions, some of the challenges that you know, we face when we're talking to organizations. This whole culture of data democratization becoming a data-driven organization. And at the heart of it, it's allowing users to access and use the data that they need to successfully do their jobs. It's empowering them with the data and with the analytics on the data. And this means unlocking those data silos and allowing users to easily find access and use the data that they need to be effective in their roles. Data virtualization makes it easy to open up these data silos because we're not copying data into some sort of central repository. It's not being copied into a data lake or a data warehouse. And it's quicker to do it because we're not copying data around. Typically, when we talk to organizations, they say that from the request from the business to get data to actually being provisioned for them to use can be anywhere from two weeks. That's the quickest I've heard to typically three months. I have actually heard one organization, Bank in Canada, I won't say their name, actually said it took them 14 months to get the data provisioned to the business after they'd requested it. Clearly, this is not acceptable. So data virtualization, by leaving the data where it is and giving you that virtual access to it, makes it a lot quicker to expose the data, open up the data to the users and a broad range of data as well, a very broad range of data across the organization. So by allowing people to find the data, understand what data is available, because if they don't know what data is available, they'll go and reinvent the wheel. They'll go into shadow IT and get the data somehow. So find out what data is available for them to use, and then allowing them to access that data allows them to take advantage of that data. And one of the other things is that you can allow, through data virtualization, 
because the data is not being copied into a central repository, I'm not giving you a copy of my data. I'm allowing you to access the data which I'm still owning and controlling. As the owner of that data, say I own the finance data, I'm the business owner for the finance data, I can decide what data I'm going to allow you to access. So I keep control of my data, that feeling of still being in control. I call it global access with local control. All of this helps open up those silos, allows people to access and use the data to become, like you say, data-driven. That's what I consider to be their data democratization, allowing people to access the data that they need instead of the data that their department or role allows them to have access to. Yeah, and Sylvain, Paul explains it very well from a higher level perspective, but I would like to understand how it works in practice and and how it helps, let's say, my daily life in my business and how it provides access to the whole organization. So if you can describe it in very simple words, can you give an example of data virtualization case study, how it works in Landsbankin? The good example that Paul mentioned was this shadow IT culture that some organizations have where each department end up recreating its own wheel. We had a department in the bank that was gathering data and aggregating it from our data warehouse and then manually was connecting to the National Institute of Statistics to extract the CSV from there and combine it with the data they had. Turned out this National Institute of Statistics exposes some data through a web service. So we were able to, in Dinodo, to just connect to that web service and merge the data and logically into our logical data warehouse so that this department, for example, would get the data automatically how they wanted it instead of having to merge them manually afterwards. That's one of the uh, most successful examples we had. The other one was the one I mentioned in the opening statement is merging two different data warehouses, which is probably the heaviest you can have. We have right now two different data warehouses, one that is historical and one that is much more recent for the last, I think it contains the last 10 years of data. And we needed to find a solution to dynamically switch between this old data warehouse and this new data warehouse, uh, depending on the query you had. And that's how data virtualization came in handy because you can have expose everything in standard views that will be in the end switching between the historical data, the old data warehouse, and the more recent data warehouse without having to wonder where physically this data is. So that's the main plus. We, we had the two best examples for. Paul, from your experience, do you have other examples from other clients that you saw in the market? I've actually got a, a really good example because it hits back onto that whole privacy jurisdiction thing. And it's a GDPR example. It's one of our customers, Autodesk software company AutoCAD is their flagship product. Now, as you probably all know that with GDPR, individuals, people have the right to know what information and actually the right to ask to have information deleted. They have the right to know what information a company has collected and maintains about them. And Autodesk were faced with this challenge because they're a multinational company. They have operations in Europe as well as America and Asia. And they set up a GDPR task force to work out how they're going to deal with all of these inbound requests to know 
what data Autodesk had collected about these individuals. And they were expecting about 10,000 requests per month. So the task force was set up and the strategy they came up with was to hire a team of people who were going to manually search the applications and databases within Autodesk to find any mention, any information about an individual, collate all of this information, and then notify the user, the person, the individual of the information that Autodesk had collected about him or her. A very, very manual error prone task. And they thought this task force decided that it was going to take between probably 12 or 16 people working full time, eight hours a day, just processing these requests. This doesn't allow for errors, checking, recheck, or anything like that. So it's probably a team of over 20 people, and that's all they would do. And then the data architect who worked at Autodesk and was using the Denodo data virtualization platform pointed out to the GDPR task force team that our data virtualization platform already connects to all of these systems, all of these databases already. And it would only take us two weeks to build an app that would actually allow you to type in the person's details, their email address or something like that. And then it will go and search all of these things and give you the results back in a few seconds. That was an example of how data virtualization suddenly changed a team of 20 people into one or two people just typing in email addresses or cut and paste email addresses and ultimately getting the results back because the data virtualization platform was connected to all of their systems already. And it just greatly simplified and accelerated their compliance with GDPR. And GDPR also has the right for data portability and also the right for removal. Can data virtualization help with that as well? Well, actually, the right of removal is very interesting because when you search all of these systems, uh, go back to the Autodesk example, you may find information. Let's say they find information about Paul. Paul Moxon has said, what information have you got about me? And I asked for my information to be deleted. Now then, Autodesk have got a challenge there because they may have collected information about Paul Moxon as an individual and also have information about Paul Moxon as part of a corporate customer. Now, they only want to delete Paul Moxon, the individual, and not Paul Moxon, the corporate customer. And Autodesk used data virtualization to help them with that task as well, being able to identify which was linked to customer accounts versus individuals, and therefore only delete the individual records and not the corporate records, which were you know, considered to be separate and not part of this uh, deletion request. Yeah, and some personal data is, let's say, transactional, then it doesn't have to be removed, or it is more marketing related and needs to be removed. So it's even much more complex, I think. We can spend an hour on this, at least. Oh, yes, GDPR is a wonderful subject, very, very complex. So if you look to this example, let's dive a little bit more into the deployment. Can I see this as some kind of big bang, or can companies start small and grow step by step? So, Sylvain, can you explain what a typical data virtualization deployment roadmap looks like for an enterprise? For us, it was very simple. We decided to start small and go big instead of changing everything in one finger type. So, what we decided to do was okay, we have this data warehouses issue to, to solve first. Uh, so that's why we, we decided to go with. So from that, we decided to say, okay, 
we have these combined data warehouses now. Let's build a logical data warehouse, an actual logical data warehouse, where we'll have all the logic inside. So that was step two. Step three was to say, okay, let's see now what are all the data you're gathering everywhere, and let's see how we can combine it in our logical data warehouse. And now that we have that step, the next step would be to create some self-service views for reporting and analytics. So we decided to start small and grow bigger. Charles, is that a typical process or is it different for different organizations? I think it does vary. I mean, we've probably got in excess of 800 enterprises now who have deployed the, the Denodo platform. So it's very much tried and tested in terms of the approach that we have to support them with their deployments. And we operate with various quick starts and so on. But essentially, you can think of any deployment in technology as really involving three aspects. There's the technology itself, but also the people and the processes. And without all of those working together, you won't get the success that you need. So it's very important, I think. And the most successful deployment always consider all of those three aspects at the same time. To Zulvain's point, the installation is certainly very straightforward. You know, you can put it in the cloud, on-prem, or both. To the second point about people, we see the skills development being very key. So alongside the architectural oversights that you need, there are probably two main functions for data virtualization. You need staff who can administer the system and ensure the security and integrity and uh, performance. And then you also have the developer function, which tends to be the larger of the two categories. But for that, they only really need a basic SQL knowledge. So it's very easy for organizations to get up and running with data virtualization. And then the rollout itself, again, to Sylvain's point, it's an incremental growth rather than a big bang approach, which is a lower risk for customers. And typically rollout is by use case. So in terms of deployment categories, the ones we see most commonly are use cases around things like, for example, single view of the truth. So whether that be customer 360 or if it was a government body, perhaps citizen 360, or it may be you know, claims or internal processes or risk management. But that concept of being able to bring data together to get a single view and everyone has a common view rather than, as we were saying earlier, lots of different databases giving different answers. Both also self-service, I think, is another key area where we see Agile BI, particularly for business analytics and data science. We see lots of deployments where people want to do things like propensity modeling and look for new insights from the combination of data. And then all of those categories really are about deployment of informational consumer services. What we also see is quite a large number of customers going towards operational consumption where they're exposing data for data services and aggregation into other applications. And this can be truly transformational. And a large number of our customers also do operational data consumers. And Intel Corporation is perhaps a very good example of somebody who's done that at scale on, on a global basis. And then to your second point, which I think was about the time it takes to deploy, probably the best poll of feedback on that was from Gartner, who had something called Voice of the Customer where they did a survey and the Denodo customers confirmed that their own experiences were with 68% of organizations deploying in less than 90 days and effectively two thirds. 
and then virtually everyone within six months. It was 96% were able to deploy in six months. So it doesn't have to be a major, large, big bang approach. So the incremental use case one by one or two by two is definitely the right approach. We had an example from a major international bank recently that wanted to do a cloud migration. They had planned to deploy over a period of 12 months. When they put Zenodo in, they were able to put that over the top of the existing applications on premise and then move incrementally all the different components into the cloud. Each time they moved something and turned it on within the, uh, the cloud service, which was the AWS, they were then able to connect the users to that service without having to change the connections at the user end, which was quite profound given that there were about 6,000 users. And they were able to deploy within six months instead of the original plan of 12 months but they were also able to do five additional projects during the same time frame. So to the deployment question, it can be quite rapid, but also the resources needed to get you to that end point can also be significantly reduced. So it can be a very efficient way of moving forward. Charles, we discussed already in the beginning that organizations have implemented ETL processes. They have a data warehouse solution. These type of projects they have a substantial impact, I think, on organizations. So changes requires really a substantial benefit. So if you look from the business that has already implemented such an ETL and data warehousing process, are there still organizational benefits that use this, this data virtualization in that case? And I think we have the example from Bankin, but what examples do you have? Yes, we talked earlier about the uh, the challenges of, of data growth and uh, the increasingly disparate nature of, of data, whether that be on-prem or, or cloud. But I think to the point about ETL and data warehousing tools, if you're moving and copying the data multiple times by that method, you're creating duplications sometimes six or seven times across the enterprise. The curation of the data might be different, the models might be different, and you're going to get complexities in terms of being able to keep up with the business and give a consistent answer. Now, ETL and data warehousing certainly plays a key role because if you want to store historic and trending information, making a cut of the data and putting it in a warehouse is a very sensible way forward. But for much of the business where ETL and data warehouse is being used right now, it's just being used for aggregation of data and the curation of that data so that it can be easily consumed by other applications or by the end users. And that's where the role of data virtualization can come in to, to complement. And you can still hold the historic data in your data warehouse, but you can combine the data warehouse, so the historic information, with real-time data, which is coming through the virtual layer to give you an insight. So you can compare current status with perhaps what happened last week, last month, last year, that type of thing. And I think Logitech is a very good example who do the peripherals and laptop mice and so on. They moved to the cloud and deployed uh, Snowflake with Denodo on top of it. They used that for all their data warehouse needs, but they also had Denodo over the top of Snowflake so they can then combine that ETL curated data in Snowflake with information that's coming from other sources which may sit outside the, uh, the normal data warehouse model and also give them that real-time view so they get that single semantic layer in the virtual layer for the business to consume and they don't have to worry anymore about where that data comes from and sylvain can you explain how it works within lance Bankin and especially how you benefiting from it 
the main uh, benefits we have is we've shortened a lot the integration of small details needed in the data. For example, every three months, each department has objectives on some products. These objectives change every three months. And in order to track the progress on those products, they need to be categorized and the categories are changing every three months. So we have someone responsible in, in each department, for example, to change those categories in an Excel file. They send an Excel file to an email box uh, that then installs that and puts this file on our Dinodo server. And this is then consumed to recategorize the products automatically instead of having to ask the BI department to change that, that logic and that grouping of products, they can do it themselves. So that has shortened a lot and made the life easier for everyone. That's also a good example. Paul, last question. What we see is that every organization is basically on a journey of data and transformation. And every company is a data-driven company right now. So step-by-step step, removing the data silos. Uh, they explore deeper analytics. They connect to more APIs. If we look from this data virtualization perspective, at what stage is data virtualization an option? And once it's been implemented, what's then basically the next step in the journey? I think that data virtualization is not an option. It's a reality. It's the only way that you're really going to be able to integrate, combine, create this data fabric we talked about earlier across all of your data. So I don't consider it to be an option. And even people like Gartner and Forrester are now saying, you need to do data virtualization. It's the only way to move towards a logical architecture. Now, once you've got data virtualization implemented, it's a never ending journey. Technology is changing, new technologies emerge, the old technologies, they, they, they fade away, but they never seem to die. I always notice that, that people are still running mainframe applications from the 1970s. They never quite managed to get rid of them, but they're adding new technologies into their infrastructure all the time. And data virtualization makes it easier for you to bring on board these new technologies. Charles mentioned about somebody who's a large bank moving to the cloud, moving off an on-premise data warehouse to a cloud data warehouse and being able to retire the old legacy data warehouse and introduce the new cloud data warehouse. The idea that you can introduce new technology seamlessly into the organization, make it available to your users using the tools they're familiar with is going to be going on for years and years and years. I can guarantee that in five years time, the hot thing that everybody wants to get their hands on will be something that we don't even know exists at the moment. You know, 10 years ago, everybody was talking about Hadoop and MapReduce. Now, nobody talks about Hadoop and MapReduce. They all talk about cloud data lakes and analytics and streaming data. So in five years time, there'll be new technologies coming along and data virtualization, because it helps you build this data fabric layer, allows you to insert these new technologies underneath the data fabric and make it available and accessible to the users without causing wholesale disruption. So data virtualization is not a one and done technology. It's going to be there. It's going to be part of your journey as you go through the digital transformation, as you build your new business models, as you become more data-driven. Data virtualization is going to be there holding your hand, so to speak, throughout this whole journey. Yeah, thanks. And I can't agree more. It's changing so quickly. 
And I think that's one of the reasons also to follow these type of podcasts, to stay up to date about new technologies. It was a very interesting conversation. I think we can go on for half an hour or an hour. I think many of the listeners, data virtualization is, is rather new, but it's definitely worth exploring. I want to thank the speakers, Paul, Charles, and, and Sylvain. Thank you for sharing your experience. And thank you for all the listeners, of course, to the Modern Data Management by Data Virtualization episode. And we invite you to join next podcast as well. Thank you and enjoy your day. You've been listening to the EM360 podcast. For more great content, head on over to em360tech.com. 